Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Seated this morning. Children, if you are in first grade and you're below that, you may leave now to go to Kids on Worship, our children. This is part two of a series that we started last week. Actually, it's part two of a long series, The Gospel-Centered Life. And I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 15. We are going to be jumping all around the scriptures this morning, which is a good thing to be in the Bible, looking at all the different scriptures that are before us this morning. Um, As you're opening your scriptures, I have a confession to make. I'm an Alfred Hitchcock fan. Oh, you're waiting for like this weird confession. I like Alfred Hitchcock. I like his movies. His, his movies were really before their time in, in terms of cinematography, in terms of special effects. And one of my favorite movies by Alfred Hitchcock is Rear Window. I don't know if you've seen the movie Rear Window, but it's, it's got Jimmy Stewart and Grace Kelly. And Jimmy Stewart pray, plays the part of L.B. Jeffries. He's a, a race car driver who's an adventurous man, and he, he gets in a car crash and breaks his leg. And so he's confined to a wheelchair in his apartment, and he's bored, he's frustrated, and so what he does is he starts spying on all of his neighbors through his window. And then um, he, he looks at all of these things that are going on, and, and he has this kind of strained relationship with his girlfriend, Grace Kelly, and they witness a supposed murder. And they try to solve this murder through looking out his window. Now, this is a theme of of a murder mystery, but like in a lot of movies, there's something deeper going on. Some of the themes going on in this movie are voyeurism and escapism. Jeffries finds comfort in spying on his neighbors, of of diving into the life of those who may be more exciting than him because he's confined to this wheelchair. A lot like we do with television, right? Television, movies, and internet. What do we like to do? We like to escape into other people's lives that are more exciting than our own. And so we'll get hooked on our favorite shows. And so as Jimmy Stewart's looking out his window, there's Miss Lonely Heart. She's just really wants to have a date, and she's this lonely woman. And then there's the, the, the nagging wife who ends up being um, murdered in, in the movie. And then there's the ballet, there's the, the ballet dancer. And, and all these things are going on as he's immersing himself and wanting to be part of this life that he sees unfold before him. And what we see in this movie, Rear Window, is a portrait of 21st century loneliness and escapism. People don't like their own lives, so they want to escape into somebody else's life. We are plagued in this culture by loneliness, disconnectedness, and we like to watch from a distance. We really, when it comes down to it, we'd like to be involved in people's lives, but we often don't do that, and so we live disconnected. Last week, I showed you a clip from the movie WALL-E, the Pixar movie. And if you remember, it was kind of a metaphor for this angst that we have in our American psyche of wanting deeper relationships, of being surrounded by technology, of this disconnectedness that we feel in our culture. And, and it's amazing how sometimes movies portray the American situation, but on a deeper level, sometimes movies actually capture the human condition. 
Do you realize that every single one of you in this room was made for relationships? You were created to be in a relationship. And and last week, we started this trajectory of looking at about how the gospel brings bearing upon our interpersonal relationships. The gospel is for believers. It's not just to get a lost person saved. Yes, the gospel is the power of salvation for all who believe. But once we are saved, once we're Christians, we still need the gospel every day. And the gospel creates this community we call the church. And, and last week we, we started to answer the question, how do we live together in our relationships? How do we function together, whether it be a husband and wife, or parent to child, or friend, co-worker, neighbor, relative? How do we, how do we deal with our interpersonal relationships? And, and we answered the question overall by, by saying we practice the gospel, one another's. These one another's that show up throughout the scriptures. And last week we focused just on the first one, the overarching one, the foundational one. And if you remember from last week, it was simply this. We are commanded, we are obligated to keep on continually, what? Loving one another. Loving one another. We are to be marked by this selfless, sacrificial, self-giving, self-denying type of love that Jesus showed for us. Now, when you stop and you think about these gospel one another's, they really are pretty radical. They go against the culture of what we are swimming upstream against. When you really look at these gospel one another's, they are radical. So I want to deconstruct for you this morning some issues that we have to come to grips with. I want to address some issues that we are facing in our culture, that we are swimming in an upstream battle. I want to show you this morning, before we even start, three enemies of practicing these gospel one another's. And when we look at these three enemies, you may not even think they're that big of a deal because we've been so conditioned in our culture just to accept them. But when we look at what God's word has to say about them, we're confronted with the reality that these three enemies are so commonplace that almost all of us at times are guilty of being trapped by these three ruthless enemies. What are these ruthless enemies to practicing the gospel one another's? Well, let me list them for you. Selfishness, busyness, and complacency. Selfishness. Let's just face it. We are a selfish people. We've adopted the culture of this world that says everything is about who? Us. You know what the chief end of man is? Our culture says the chief end of man is to glorify himself and enjoy himself forever. We are so selfish. And we don't even bat an eye that selfishness is even a sin. Here's what selfishness says, okay? Selfishness says this. I'm more important than anybody else. Therefore, everybody else must serve me. I'm more important than anybody else. Therefore, everybody else must serve me. And whether we know it or not, we we end up maybe using people for our own utilitarian desires. So selfishness is enemy number, number one. Enemy number two is busyness. And I'm talking about myself here. How many of you are overextended, overcommitted, have too much on your plate? You overplan. And I would dare say that busyness prevents us from really cultivating these true deep relationships. Busyness. I can't believe how busy we are at times. Here's what busyness says. My life is too complicated. Therefore, I will not build relationships. I will not invest in building relationships. My life's too complicated. My life's too busy. I've got too many things going on to have to worry about the gospel one another's. 
So we've got selfishness. It's all about me. Busyness, I'm too busy. Thirdly, complacency. I just don't care. It's not on my radar screen. I, don't, I, may, I may secretly want to have deep relationships with people, but I don't want to invest the time. I don't want to invest the energy. I'm just complacent in my loneliness. I'm just complacent in where I'm at. It sounds like too much work to have to practice these gospel one another's. I'm just going to be complacent, but at the same time, you're frustrated because you don't have those deep relationships. So we are facing an uphill battle when we are looking at these gospel one another's because the culture screams loudly to us to be selfish to be busy and to be complacent so it's going to require some intentionality it's going to require some energy some hard work but we are not left to our own resources last week we we said we can't love the way god's called us to love in our own power it comes through the power of the holy spirit in our lives and so before we go any further i want to give you some encouragement from a passage of scripture that's going to help us in this journey of practicing the biblical one another's so it's from second peter chapter one three through four listen to the words of peter his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire notice what peter says god's power has been given to us what kind of power are we talking about We are talking about the power that created the universe. We're talking about the power that came down in the hail a few weeks ago that destroyed a lot of our cars and our roofs. The kind of power that that pushes a hurricane towards the East Coast. The type of power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter's saying that power that God has is available to us. For what? For all things that pertain to life and godliness. So before we go any further, we've got the power. So a Christian, you cannot say this. You can never say this as a Christian. I can't do it. Now you may say, I won't do it, or I don't want to do it, but you can never say, I can't, because God's power has been given to you to be able to empower you to practice these one another's. And yes, it starts in weakness. We are weak. Let's be real. I'm going to be real honest this morning. I'm going to be real blunt this morning. We are weak we are broken, and we are helpless. Get over it. That's the best place to start. Because if you start there, you realize that it's all about God and His grace and His power and His resources. You and I can't love each other. We can't serve each other. We can't practice these biblical one another's in our own flesh, in our own power. We just can't do it. We need the power of Christ. Because in our own flesh... We know deep inside our own flesh we can't do it, but we also have the enemies of busyness and complacency and selfishness coming against us. Listen to what Paul says about weakness and about God's power. This was the posture that Paul found himself in from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. This is Jesus speaking to Paul. He said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When we're weak, that's when we're strong. 
So if you've come in here this morning and you feel weak and helpless and, and broken, I would say welcome to the club of what it means to be a Christian and realize that God's grace is sufficient for you. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at some more gospel one another's. Now there's a lot of gospel one another sprinkled throughout the New Testament, but for the sake of time this morning, we're going to look at five of them. We're going to look at five gospel one another's. And what I'd like to do this morning is to take you from Romans, starting in Romans, and we're going to go chronologically or however it shows up in the scriptures. There's no hierarchy to these. They're all equally important. We're just going to go in kind of the order of how they show up in the books. But let me just say this about all of these. Every single one of these that we're going to look at this morning are commands to be obeyed. Not only are they commands, but they are in the present tense action, which means these are to be done ongoing, continually, as a lifestyle. So every time we see these words, it means a lifestyle of ongoing action of practicing these. So let's look at the biblical one another's this morning. We're going to start in Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. So what's the first gospel one another we're going to look at this morning? It is simply this. We are commanded to keep on continually. That's the way that the wording is in the original language. Keep on continually welcoming or accepting one another. Some translations use the word welcoming. Some translations use the word accepting. Let's look at Romans 15, verse 7. Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Paul writes, Therefore, welcome or accept one another as Christ has welcomed or accepted you for the glory of God. We are to keep on continually on an ongoing basis welcoming one another. Now, what does this word mean? This word welcome or accept that Paul uses means to draw into fellowship, to bring someone into fellowship. Really what it meant was is to pull someone aside for a personal conversation and to get into their lives really is what it meant. But let's see how this is rooted in the gospel. Why should we welcome? Why should we accept? Why should we draw each other near in fellowship? What, what does Paul say here? Why do we do it? Romans fifteen seven. welcome one another as Christ has what? Has done it for you. We accept one another because Christ accepted us. Now let's ask a question here. Did Christ wait for us to get our acts together before he decided to love us? Did Christ say, you know what, I'm going to wait for those people down there to get rid of all their baggage and then God, I'll go down and die for them. Did Jesus adopt the attitude that he was going to wait till we were good enough before he welcomed us? No, what does Romans 5.8 say? Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What if Jesus had adopted the attitude that I'm just going to wait for humans to get their act together before I accept them? Would any of us here be saved if Jesus had that attitude toward us? He accepted us when we were not acceptable. And here's the issue. Here's the issue when it comes to welcoming one another. Because let's establish the fact that we're all broken, we're confused, we're frustrated, we're, 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 we're broken people. And if we are truly, as a church, going to be accepting and welcoming each other, we've got to be willing to accept each other's junk. Bottom line. 
We've got to be willing to get in each other's lives. We can't go to another person and say, well, I'm going to accept you. I'm going to welcome you if you're just like me, if you're nice to me, if you reciprocate. No, we are called to welcome, to accept everyone because that's the way Christ has treated us, to welcome one another. Now, what does this look like? How do we, how do we accept or welcome one another? Well, it involves taking a risk. You seek out people that you maybe need to pull aside for a conversation. You need to be vulnerable. You need to get into people. You know, here's what happens on Sunday mornings. We come in here and we have the welcome time, right? You know what happens during the welcome time. It's a frenzy of everybody running around trying to see how many people's hands you can shake. Can you develop deep relationships by shaking someone's hand, jumping over the, the chairs? are almost falling off the balcony as you're going up there. I went up to the balcony to welcome today, and they were kind of shocked. Whoa, Sean made it to the balcony to welcome. It's kind of scary up there. That's why I don't usually go up there often. (laughs) Have you taken someone out to coffee? Have you taken someone out to dinner? Have you invited someone into your home? Have you taken a risk? And here's the catch-22 oftentimes. We often do what? Wait for the other person to take the initiative. Well, nobody's inviting me. Get over it. I'm going to be real blunt this morning. Why don't you take the initiative? Because if all of us were waiting for the initiative of somebody else to do it, we'd all be waiting around. And I know personalities are in there, and I know some people are more outgoing and more introverted, more extroverted. These are hard things, but they're biblical things. You've got to take some risk, put yourself out there to welcome. And notice what Paul says here in verse 7. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? He adds, for the glory of God. What glorifies God? What glorifies God is when we're accepting, when we're welcoming, when we're getting each other's lives, when we are sharing life together, that brings glory to God. What does not bring glory to God? When we're plastic, when we're fake, when we're inauthentic, when we, when we walk around with these, these plastic smiles on our face and we're distant and we're not welcoming one another, that does not glorify God. Many of you have had church experiences where you've been around people that were just fake. You've been in a fake church. I pray by the power of God that we're never a fake church, that we have the freedom to be real here. We have the freedom to have warts and all, that we are a gospel people. The gospel says we are sinners saved by grace and we have issues and all of us need the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. None of us is above anybody else. We're not judgmental. We're not hypocritical. We're not legalistic. We are all pilgrims on the progress to sanctification and we all need the gospel. We are a gospel people. And it's a beautiful picture of the gospel when we do what Paul says here in this verse, one another. Welcome, accept one another, draw one another into fellowship. Come to someone and put your arm around them and draw them into a conversation. That's the first gospel, one another. Welcome, and it's a continual lifestyle. Keep on continually welcoming one another. Now, let's look at the second one. You're going to be turning in your Bibles, but we're going to go in order. So it makes it a little bit easy, okay? Turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. And as we turn over to Galatians chapter 6, we will see the second gospel, one another. And here's simply what it is. Here's the second gospel, one another. We are to keep on continually bearing the burdens of one another. Bearing one another's burdens. Let's look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Galatians 6, 1 through 3. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, in the context of what Paul's talking about here, he's really talking about what it means to restore a person that's fallen into sin. Those who are stronger need to gently restore a person who's fallen into sin. But let me ask you a question. How do you prevent a person falling into sin? What's the preventative measure of making sure that one of your brothers or sisters in Christ doesn't fall into sin? Bear one another's burdens. Again, I want to be real honest this morning. A lot of us have burdens. We have things that we are carrying. And you were not meant to carry that burden alone. I've discovered something here in northeastern Colorado in my six and a half years of living here. I don't know if it's the farming or the ranching mentality out here, but there's an attitude in northeastern Colorado that God helps those who help himself, and I don't need help. We don't want to ask for help. Showing that we need help shows weakness. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to admit that we are weak and that we have burdens and that we need help. There's the self-sufficiency of pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps and it's a pride thing where we don't want to ask someone else for help. Let me just deconstruct that for you this morning and say, can Emmanuel at least be a place where people have the freedom to say, I have a burden and I need help? Can there be an openness here where somebody is not afraid to go to another person and say, I just need help? I've got a burden, and I can't carry this burden by myself. I'm not a handyman. You know that. I can't fix things. I'm mechanically challenged. I was absent the day they taught that at school. I don't know. And so I've had to swallow my pride many times as a man and say, I can't do that. Call up Jack or call up Larry or call up one of our deacons and say, can you guys come help me do this because I can't do it. I've had to swallow my pride and say, okay, it's a manhood issue. I'll come over. I'll get over it. I just can't do it. I need help. It's okay. It's okay if you're in this place this morning and you're weak and you need help. There are many strong people around you in this church that can come along and bear your burden. How do we help each other's burdens? Maybe it just means that you help watch the kids for an afternoon. Maybe you go over and you do some laundry or you help. Maybe it's just your presence. You find creative ways to bear the burdens of other people. Romans 15.1 says this, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. That's a word for those of us who are strong. And at times you may be weak, at times you may be strong, but there's this whole idea of bearing one another's bur- burdens. Now let me, just, let me just say this. It's been, it's been a rough week in the life of our church. Uh, Nick Torres' wife passed away. Angel. And and Nick was up in Greeley for months at her bedside, ministering to her as a godly husband should to his wife. And you know, when somebody dies, we're very good to show care at the funeral and then probably maybe a couple days after that. But do you realize that maybe somebody needs to bear the burden with Nick and walk alongside him, show up at his house, walk through this with him? That's just one example See, here's one of the failures I think oftentimes we do as Christians. We'll say, I'll be praying for you, and then we just stop there. And it's great. I'm glad you're praying for me. Yeehaw, I love it. Pray for me. But sometimes I need more than prayers. I need you. I need a person to walk with me, to help me, to bear my burden. And sometimes we as Christians don't do a good job of bearing one of those burdens. Why? Because of busyness, selfishness, and complacency. 
And that word bear, again, is in the continuous action. We are to keep on continually bearing one another's burdens. And in the original language, it really meant to exert energy. It means there's, there's time involved. There's investment. It requires a little bit of work. So number one, welcome one another. Number two, bear the burdens of one another. What about number three? Flip back one page. I told you we're going to go in order, but, but go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Just, one, just a few pages over, backwards. Here's the third one another. Keep on continually forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 11 and 12. These are some final words of Paul. Here's what he says. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I didn't include that one in there. Maybe for a couple, maybe another time I'll talk about how we greet each other with a holy kiss. Kind of weird in our culture, so we won't deal with that one. But aim for restoration. That word restoration is an interesting word in the Greek language. It meant to, like a doctor would repair a broken bone or a fisherman would repair a broken net. In other words, what Paul's saying is aim for repairing things that are broken, broken relationships. So don't hold a grudge to keep on forgiving. Now, let's go to Ephesians where we see this more clearly. Turn over to Ephesians. Now we're going back in the order of the books of the Bible. Ephesians 4.32. And the reason I'm having you guys flip to these is because I want you to see them on your own Bible so you can interact more so than what's up on the screen. Ephesians 4, 32. Ephesians 4, 32, Paul says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, Forgiveness is, is something that the world talks about, right? You, you can turn on Dr. Phil, and Dr. Phil talks about forgiveness and self-forgiveness, and the world talks about forgiveness. So everybody wants there to be forgiveness, but there's a gospel element to this passage of Scripture that makes forgiveness a little bit, it raises the ante on what gospel forgiveness truly is. Notice what Paul says there. Forgive one another, how? As God in Christ forgave you. So how and why do we forgive one another? Because Christ forgave us. How did he forgive us? In the cross. He shed out his blood on those that were rebels, on those that sinned against him, on those that committed treason and slapped him in the face time and time again. Christ went to that cross, suffered those nails, experienced the wrath of God, died in our place, and forgave us. And Paul's saying because of that forgiveness that we've received from Christ, we are in turn to forgive one another. I often counsel with Christians. They come into my office and they're struggling with an issue of forgiveness. And and believe me, I understand the struggles that we have with forgiveness. But they'll say something like this. I just don't feel like God has called me to forgive that person. And I say very kindly, very gently, I don't care what you feel. God has commanded it. You don't have a choice whether you feel like you're going to do it right here it's a command so let's just drop this whole i feel like god just throw that terminology out if god commands it whether you feel like it or not we must do it but here's the issue forgiveness is hard isn't it sometimes it's excruciatingly painful to forgive someone who's hurt you deeply and you may still have those scars they've treated you horribly 
But Paul says when you look at the cross and see what Jesus experienced for you, it gives you the power to in turn forgive another person. Many of you have heard the story of Corey Ten Boom. She was in the concentration camps in World War II Germany, Ravensbrück. Her sister Betsy died in those concentration camps. And there was this one guard, this gruff, mean guard that really brutalized them in that concentration camp. They would have to parade naked past him. He would jeer. He would, he would do all these wicked things. Well, World War II got over. And Corey Tim Boom went around Europe and sometimes to America to tell her story of God's grace. And so she's, she's talking about forgiveness. And guess what? As she's talking about forgiveness in this church in Munich, that same man who had brutalized her comes walking through the door. And she's paralyzed. She doesn't know what to do. After the service, he makes his way up to her and he says, Hi, Fräulein. What's she going to do at this point? He extends his hand to her and says, You talked about forgiveness tonight, how God throws our sins as far as the east is to the west and throws them to the bottom of the ocean. I want you to know, Fräulein, that I'm a Christian now. I've received the forgiveness of Christ. He's forgiven me, but I had to come and ask your forgiveness. Will you, Fräulein, forgive me? Now, she was faced with a choice at that moment. And so she asked God to give her all the power she could to extend her hand. With tears in her eyes, she looked at that man and she said, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. See, in our own power, we, we, we can't possibly offer forgiveness like that to someone that's hurt us. But in Christ, we can. I think as Christians, we oftentimes do a lousy job of forgiving one another. Here's what oftentimes happens. You've wronged someone, and you go and you say, I'm sorry. And what does the person often say? That's okay. You hear that a lot? That's okay. No, it's not okay. We do not practice biblical forgiveness. When you go to a person and you've sinned against them, and all they say back to you is, that's okay, what they're doing is they're minimizing your sin. No, you've really sinned against them, and if all they say is, that's okay, you're basically downplaying sin. What would happen if God just said, well, that's okay, Why did Jesus need to go to the cross and die a cruel death if that's okay? You see, true forgiveness means that we admit sin, particular sin. We confess that sin. And the other person doesn't just say, that's okay. The other person says, yes, I know you've sinned against me. And you've sinned against me deeply and it hurt. But you know what? It is a sin. Christ pays for that sin. He forgave you for that sin. I forgive you for that sin. When we say that's okay, what we do is we just brush sin on the carpet and we just totally tear the guts out of what Christ did for us on the cross. We need to not just say, that's okay. We need to call sin, sin and say, I forgive you. You did sin, but Christ paid for that sin and I forgive you. Okay, what's the fourth? Welcome one another, bear the burdens of one another, forgive one another. Here's the fourth one. We are commanded to keep on continually encouraging one another. Turn over to Hebrews. We're going to look at two places in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3. Some translations use the word comfort. Some translations use the word encourage. It's the same Greek word. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. I could spend a month of Sundays on just these two verses alone, but we're just going to look at it briefly. 
Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. The writer says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This word exhort really carries in the original language this idea of coming alongside of someone. Coming alongside for encouragement, for comfort, for exhortation. And to keep on continually doing this. How long does it say there? Exhort one another what? Every day. Now, when we think of encouragement, oftentimes we get these weird fuzzy feelings of uh, we're a cheerleader on the sideline with this plastic grin and we're giving out Christian cliches that you can find on bumper stickers from a distance. You're doing a good job. This word, exhort, does not mean to clap from the sidelines. It means to get down deep into a person's life and walk alongside them in the trenches. Why do we need encouragement? Why, why do I need encouragement? Notice what Paul, or Paul, the writer of Hebrews says there. We don't know who the writer is. What, what does it say? So that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. Sin will harden us. Sin will confuse us. And so we need that encouragement so we don't fall into sin. To be hardened by sin. We need that encouragement. And so he says, keep on continually exhorting, coming alongside, encouraging one another every day. Now turn over to chapter 10 for just a moment. Hebrews 10. Let's look at verses 24 and 25 of Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. We've got the, it's said just in a different way here. Same concept. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says to keep on encouraging one another. Stir one another up to love and good deeds. Don't neglect meeting together there must have been something going on in that church in Hebrews where they weren't meeting together. And so we need the encouragement of meeting together. I can't tell you how much encouragement I get just being with other Christians, whether it's the the Tuesday morning men's study I'm with, whether it's here on Sunday morning just being part of the family, whether it's a Sunday night prayer meeting or a Wednesday night growth group or or, or seeing you in Walmart or whatever happens. It's, It's just I need the encouragement. And let me just say this. Contrary to popular opinion, The pastor needs the people. Yes, I'm called to shepherd. I'm called to lead. I'm called to feed. But I need you just as much as maybe you think you need me. I need you. I desperately need your encouragement. And here's a sad thing about this passage of Scripture. What does the writer say? How how often are we supposed to encourage you one another? Every day. Has there been a day gone by this week where you did not receive some encouragement? Or some encouragement from someone who was not in your immediate family, who lived outside of your home, that wasn't part of your, either a spouse or, or a parent or something? Have you received encouragement? And here's where those enemies come in. Busyness, selfishness, complacency. A lot of times, well, I, I don't want to bother them. I don't want to encourage them. I don't want to bother them. They're too busy. I just don't want to bother them. Can I be very blunt this morning? 
pick up the phone and call him. If you want to, write him a note. If you want to be impersonal, write an email. If you want to be really lazy, text him. But do something. (laughs) Do something. Don't worry about, are they too busy? I'm going to bother them. Most people aren't going to be bothered by your encouragement. I guarantee, how many, raise your hand, I'm going to be bothered by his, if somebody encourages me, I'm going to be bothered by it. But what do we play these games? I'm just going to be bothering them. I'm going to be bothering them. I can't tell you how many times I've received a word of encouragement at the exact time I needed it. Has that happened to you? You needed a word of encouragement. You needed to hear some encouragement, whether it came with a phone call or an email or a text or however it comes. I'm just playing with the text thing. Um, You need that. There's too much darkness, there's too much sin, and there's too much junk in our lives to not receive the encouragement that we need on a daily basis. And I want to just say this, if you're not connected to a small group of believers, if you're not in a growth group or a small group or in some smaller venue where you can actually practice this, you really can't practice this in a large group like this. But in a small group where you're known and loved and cared for, you can practice these biblical one another's. Our growth groups are going to be starting up in two weeks. And it may be an opportunity for you just to get involved in our growth groups. Maybe you can come this afternoon at our picnic at 5 o'clock and and you can just show up and, and eat free food and be a part of the family of Emmanuel. But Sean, you don't understand. I don't know anybody. Get over it. There's a bunch of people in here that don't know anybody. I don't know half of you. I look out each week and I'm like, who are these people? More people keep coming every week. I don't know anybody. If we all just had the attitude, I don't know anybody, then none of us would ever know anybody. But Sean, you don't understand. My life's too complicated. Bingo. There's the enemy of busyness. But Sean, this requires work. This requires commitment and time and too much effort. And it just sounds like it's too overwhelming. Bingo. There's the enemy of complacency. But Sean, nobody ever comes to me and talks to me. This church is so cold. I feel alone. This church is unfriendly. Bingo, there's the enemy of selfishness. I'm not trying to be blunt. Okay, I am trying to be blunt. But sometimes practicing these biblical one another's, I'm just going to be very blunt with you, requires risk taking. It requires you to just to get out of your comfort zone. It requires you to put yourself out there. And let me just say this. You will be surprised when you do that what you've missed out on. The risk is worth it. And there's a fifth and final one another that I believe is really the bottom line of all of this. If if this is not there, none of this is going to work. It's going to be shallow. It's going to be lacking in power. So turn over to James. One book over. So welcome one another. Bear the burdens of one another. Forgive one another, encourage one another, and let's tie up all the loose ends with the fifth one, which is simply, let us keep on continually praying for one another. James 5.16. James 5.16. Let us keep on continually praying for one another. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It's very interesting how this scripture links confession of sin to praying for one another to healing, that you may be healed. 
Now, at first glance, you noticed in the context, what James is really talking about is physical healing. Talking about physical healing. But is that all it could mean? Let me ask you a question. Yes, physical healing, but can there be such a thing as spiritual and emotional healing? Think about it this way. If we're practicing these biblical one another's on a consistent basis, if we're, if we're encouraging one another, if we're praying for one another, if we're forgiving one another, if we're welcoming one another, if we're bearing one another's burdens, do you think that our culture and our lives and our families and our church and our relationship is just going to be healthier? There's going to be healing coming through that? Now, it doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean that, that, that all your problems will go away. But I think that if you practice these biblical one another's on a consistent basis, it's just going to be a healthier environment. But here's where it gets risky. Yeah, we, we pray for one another, but do we confess our sins to one another? That takes it a whole lot deeper. And again, it's not just this whole, I'm sorry. It's not this, that's okay. It's confessing sins. Getting specific with your sins. A culture of repentance where you have the freedom to go to a brother or sister and say, I've sinned against you. Here's how I've sinned against you. I'm going to pray for you. And then there's healing. And here's what we also do in prayer. How many of you have done this? I'll be praying for you. And then what happens? You walk off and you forget to pray for them. Many of you know I do this. Practice. I will pray with you on the spot. Sometimes we'll be in Walmart. Can I pray with you? We'll be in the hallway. Can I pray with you? On the phone, do you mind if I pray with you? I will pray with you on the spot because I was taught that by my mentor, my pastor, who told me to just pray on the spot. And so a lot of times as Christians, we say, I'll pray for you, and then we walk off and we don't do it. So let me challenge you to pray on the spot. Well, Sean, I'm not good at praying out loud. Let me say it again kindly. Get over it. The person there is not going to be critiquing whether you said you're these and thou's right. Just talk to Jesus. It could be one sentence. Lord, help them. They're not going to be sitting there critiquing, well, they didn't pray theologically accurate. They're just thankful you're praying for them. So just pray. It can be one sentence. But notice the, notice the promise that James says here at the end of verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as is working. The effective prayer of a righteous person has great power. Power for what in the context? Power for healing. Physical healing? Does it always happen? Not always, but sometimes. Emotional healing and spiritual healing? Yes, always. No, but sometimes. We're guaranteed that when we pray, God hears our prayers, God answers our prayers, and promises to show up in power. And let's just talk about weakness here just for a moment. Don't we want power? Isn't that what we really want? When it comes down to it, we want the power to be able just to make it. Whatever struggle we're going through, whatever issue we're going through, we want power. We want transformation that only comes through the gospel. We want to see broken lives healed. We want to see marriages restored. We want to see relationships brought back together. We want to see people saved. We want to see healthy, growing, vibrant relationships where we are practicing the one another's. And guess what? God could just zap us all and do it because he's God. God could say, okay, you've got a problem, zap you, you're fixed. But is that how God normally does it? How does God normally do it? Through us, to one another. So many times, I want God's power to show up. And we want this miraculous display of power, and we want God to do something miraculous, and just plain a person walk alongside you, pardon the French, is just not sexy enough. We want the big stuff. We don't want just the day-to-day, 
walking alongside of another person. And that's how God's power shows up. More often than not, God uses weak, broken people to show his power through other weak and broken people. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 4, 7? 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says this. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. What's the treasure? What's the treasure that we have? The treasure is the gospel. The treasure is Jesus. The treasure is the power of Christ. But what are we? We're a jar of clay. Easily broken, easily shattered, nothing important. And God says that's exactly the way it's supposed to work. Weak people going to weak people, showing them Jesus, and then God's power shows up. I have so many people come to my office and a lot of times they'll say, Sean, can you fix me? And I said, no, I can't fix you. I'm never called to fix you. But I can point you to one who can fix you. His name is Jesus. He's got power. Let me introduce you to him. He can take care of your needs. So God shows his power through us. Can God just zap us and make all things go away? Yes, he can if he's God. But more often than not, he uses broken, helpless, confused people that are weak to help other broken and confused people who are weak. So what? The power doesn't rest in us. The power rests in who? God. And at the end of the day, who gets the glory if there's any change? God does. We just get the joy of being in on what he's doing and being used in a mighty way by him. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning.